I am uh, Pastor Rob Campbell, and I'm very excited about being here today. Uh, before I get into the message, I want to um, just share one announcement they gave me. was uh, We want to dismiss the children K through first grade. And uh, so if we could do that at this time, look at the beautiful young kids. Isn't that awesome? You know, the children are not... The church of tomorrow, they're the church of today. And if we don't have children, we have no future. So thank God for them. I want to say this. Um, Paul sent me a very lovely letter before I came uh, with details and instructions about the service. Uh, he made me aware that he normally preaches in a shirt and, uh, and tie and every once in a while a jacket and gave me the option to do likewise. But I feel that I've been here twice before. I might as well come as who I am and preach the way I preach. Now, uh, this is my third time, I think, preaching here. So there may be one or two more amens. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I feel better already. You know, your pastor, Paul, is such a great friend of mine. I'm often humbled by who he is. Uh, Paul says things and does things Differently than I, but we always manage to get the same, hopefully successful results. He wrote in the letter that that uh, was not only written to me, but other pastors that we should understand how Christ community does service. And usually the message is 35 minutes, give or take five minutes. And he said, if you should go over that, I will hear about it on my sabbatical. Now, had that been me writing the letter, I would have said, listen, you know how to preach. Get there and preach. And when God is through, sit down. And don't forget, don't forget what God told Moses to tell Pharaoh. Let my people go. (laughs) This morning, I want to thank the Lord for my wife being here of 27 years. And I saw one of my sons. I I don't know where he's. He's in the back somewhere. Uh, but I thank God for her, and uh, I want to also acknowledge uh, Nancy um, and the absence of Paul. You look like you've been on sabbatical, too. Girl, you look good. You look good. And um, their their children. And my son was supposed to sit right up here, and when I was within ten minutes of my time, he was supposed to give me a sign, and I don't see a clock, so this really means nothing. But I'm going to do it anyway. I I really want to honor God today. I believe God has given me a word. The scripture has already been read. Um, Carl, thank you for the great introduction. And uh, I, I, uh, I feel like I'm at home. Julie, where are you, Julie? Where are you at? Just waving. Julie made sure I had a towel because she knows that once I start moving, I may start sweating just a little bit. Uh, it's good to see so many people. I saw Reggie over in this area and and uh, uh, Ned uh, and Charlie and, and I don't see Greg, but uh, I feel like I'm at home. And um, and I plan to just preach what God gave me. The message for today is transformed by the vision, transformed By the vision. Each and every one of us are uniquely created, uniquely designed, and specifically developed to fulfill the purpose that God has for us. 
You may think that you're just, you're, you're the results of a glimmer in your father's eye on a cold Wednesday night. But God had a purpose and a plan long before you were created in your mother's womb. And our ultimate goal is to be transformed into the instrument that changes lives through this gospel. God wants to transform us into the image, into his image. And one of the things about being transformed in his image, we have to first know that Jesus came that he might put a face on God. That he, through his life, that we might see God. He says that if you've seen uh, me, you've seen my father. Jesus puts a face on on God. And you and I are here to put a face on Jesus. Jesus puts a face on God and we put a face on Jesus because as we are transformed through the renewing of our mind, we take those principles of God, walk them out, and when people see our lives, they see the resemblance of Christ. Therefore, we are called Christians. And Ephesians 2 and 10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus, that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. I really want to encourage each and every person here today that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And what he wants to do is transform you through the renewing of our mind into the image of God that when other people are looking for Christ, they will see us and begin to glorify our Father in heaven. And it almost almost reminds me of the movie Transformers. How many of y'all have seen that movie? There's about four editions of it. If you haven't, let me explain it to you. Transformers is a movie about robotics. And these uh, robots uh, uh, take the form of automobiles until trouble comes. And when trouble comes, these automobiles are transformed into weapons of warfare. Inside of the automobiles are uh, is an inherent power that can be pulled on in the moment of trouble. And what God wants us to know is that when you go to a job because of the power of God that's in your life, because when you go to that job and trouble comes, you are to pull on the power of God in your life and begin to uh, uh, show a defense against the enemy. But we recognize that we don't have natural weapons, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God, through pulling down of strongholds. And we are not wrestling against flesh and blood, but a spiritual battle. And I want you to know today that we are transformed by the vision of God. Now, when I speak of vision, I want you to know that you cannot be transformed into his image until you have a vision of who he is. Somebody say amen. Amen. Oh, that felt good. It felt sincere too. Amen. You cannot be transformed into his image until you have a vision of who he is. Transformation comes from seeing God and then having an encounter with the true And living God. God is looking for people that are willing to see Him as He is and then conform our lives to His Word that we might be light to a dark world. I submit to you that God is trying to get you to have a vision 
or encounter with him that changes the way that you see life, that changes the way you live life, that changes the way you understand who God is. We serve a contemporary God. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. But I need you to know that the God that we serve over 2,000 years ago, he died on the cross, but he's relevant today in our lives. And it comes through the transformation of knowing Him, seeing Him, understanding Him. When we get a vision of God and know the power that resides in Him, that also resides in us, then we begin to move in power because we know we're not moving in and of ourselves, but we're moving through the Spirit and the power of a living God. And it takes vision. Somebody say vision. Vision, vision, vision. Vision means to to see or to have an insight. It means that something is revealed unto you and you are now seeing. And we know that we are in a world where the enemy has darkened the eyes and the hearts of men. Many think they're living, but they're the walking dead because they're walking in darkness. But when we have an encounter with Jesus Scales are removed from our eyes. What we used to think was giving us life really was killing us. If you ever, don't raise your hand, don't even say amen, just go with me here. You ever been in a situation where you were thinking you had it going on? You thought this was the right man, you thought this was the right woman, you thought it was the right job, and you did everything you could to hold on to those things, but you lost them anyway, and then you get through the course of time and look back over your life and say, I can't believe I cried over her. I can't believe I cried over him. I can't believe that I gave all that to that job. What I thought was life really was death. When we have a vision of God, it transforms us. My first point is vision humbles us and drives us to God. Vision humbles us and drives us to God. In verse number 13, here we see Paul. Well, we see him retelling the story to King Agrippa. And he's telling the king, I was a Pharisee among Pharisees. I'm going to have to walk. I can feel that already. He says, I was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He said that I knew the law. I knew every religious uh, 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 conformity. I knew how to go in the synagogues. I knew how to go in the Senate. And he says, I was going in all of those places asking for permission to destroy the Christians. And he says, I did that with a clean conscience. Sometimes, watch this, you can do things with a good conscience and still be doing the wrong thing. Because you think you're walking in light, but you're really in darkness. That's why when you look back over and you say, I can't believe I did that. He's telling King Agrippa what, what he experienced. And, and, and he says, but I was on the road to Damascus and I was going to ask for greater permission to destroy the Christians. And he says, it was at noonday and I had an encounter with the living God. And God wants us to have an encounter with Him. Vision brings humility that drives us 
to God. When you have a vision of God, it changes your purpose and your plan. Because the thing that stops us from fully committing to Christ is first knowing that He is. Some people have never had an encounter with Him, so they think He's some mythical uh, existential power that may come and may do. But when you have a living encounter, anybody had an encounter with the Lord that you know, that you know, that you know. You know that He is. It's not what your mother told you. It's not what your father told you or your friend told you. But you had an encounter with the living God. And when you do, it changes everything. Here's Paul going to persecute Christians. At noonday, he has an encounter with God. And he's on his high horse. But... Whenever you have an encounter with God, the reality of who He is humbles you. See, Paul was the kind of man that had been trained in the greatest universities. Paul came from privilege. And sometimes the hardest thing to do is get someone who comes from privilege and power to humble themselves under the ultimate power of God. And it takes an encounter. It takes an, a, a, a vision of who he is for you to humble your purpose and your plan. I, I, I didn't come from great power. I came from great poverty. But after being in the military for a long time, I had my purpose. I had my plan. I never wanted to be poor again. But one day, I had an encounter with God at a service. And, and, and he asked me, what was I willing to do to give up, to follow him? And what had kept me, what had driven me, was I never wanted to be poor again. I never wanted to be in a position where I had to ask anybody for anything. And thus far, my life had changed. I went in the military and gotten degrees and bought houses and sold houses and built up a small nest egg to where I thought I was something and I thought I was somebody. But one day, I had an encounter with God. And it it, it humbled me and it drove me to him because I knew he was real. And I submit to you today, don't forget your encounter with God because when you do, he changes your priorities. And he asked me to preach and and it humbled me so much and it, and, and it, it bothered my flesh so much that I was depressed for three days. Because I had to say goodbye to my plan and hello to his purpose. Having a vision, having an encounter with God humbles you and drives you to him. In verse 13, he's talking about he was at noonday and he saw a light. The light was so strong that it knocked him from his horse and it knocked him to his knees. And I have to think that the reason that Paul was not following Christ is because in his intellect he had reasoned Christ out. In his, in, 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 in his uh, pursuit of wealth, he had reasoned God out. And it took something real for him to know that God was. And it humbled him and drove him to Christ. And it changes everything. God has to get our attention. 
For some of us, He's gotten our attention and He wants to take you to another level in Him. But He's saying, don't forget how I got your attention. Some of us, when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart on the Lord Jesus that God raised Him from the dead, we were saved, but we stopped there. And he says, if you don't remember how I got your attention to, to cause you to say that I am, then I will have to humble you to get your attention again. When he wanted to use Moses, he got his attention through a burning bush. When, when he wanted to use Joseph, he said, Joseph, I need you to suffer greatly that you can have the kind of success. But I've got to get your attention. I gave you a dream, but now I need you to go through uh, trouble so you can know that I can deliver you. God wants us to know. We need a fresh revelation of who he is. In 1 John 3 and 2, it says it this way. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. It says we shall see him as he is. The more he is revealed unto us, the more we change. The more that we see him, the more we are like him. We are stamped and molded in His image, but it all starts with a vision. It starts with us seeing. And vision is not just your five-year strategic plan. It's not just your mission statement for your life. But I'm talking about a vision or an encounter with God. God wants us to understand. He must be revealed unto us. He has shown you God through Jesus. He wants the world to see Jesus through us. We see this great background, but it's not how you start, it's how you finish. God sometimes has to humble us because we have been prosperous or we've been strong in certain areas and we take credit for it. But I heard somewhere, it is he that gives you the power to get wealth. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and all that dwells therein. What is it that you have that you created? Everything we have was created for us. And God will humble us to get us to come to him that he might use us. We have to understand. As we see here, the Lord begins to speak to Paul. In verse 14, he spoke to Paul, but it's interesting. He says, Saul, Saul, which is Paul's Roman name. We know that, that Paul was born a Jewish member, but he also had a Roman citizenship. The Bible says it came from his father and his father's father. So, so here is Saul who God changes his name to Paul. But when he has the encounter on Damascus Road, watch what the Lord says. He says, Saul, Saul. And the Bible says that he speaks to him in the Hebrew tongue. Why does God do that? He does that because God sometimes needs to remind us, although you are here, I know where you come from. He speaks to him in the old 
Hebrew, uh, Hebrewic tongue. He says, Saul, Saul, why art thou persecuting me? He had to call him by his old name. He had to call him from where he come from to tell him where he was that he could take him to another level. God wants to take you to another level, but he must get your attention so you know that he is. And he's a rewarder to those that diligently seek him. So when he is, he's real in your life. Everything else becomes secondary in your life. Serving him becomes primary. But he uses that humility to draw us to him. That used to scare me to death. That Christ would have to humble me. I knew I was pride, prideful. I knew I was proudful because it had kept me and pushed me to come out of where I was into where God was calling me to. The same thing that was propelling me forward was holding me back because God wanted to do something else. He speaks to, he speaks to Paul in verse 14. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul, Says, Lord, is it you? And then the Lord said, no, it's Jesus. What Saul thought, Saul thought he was serving the right thing. The Bible says when the light came, it humbled him and they were shaking because of the presence of the Lord. But he says, Saul says, Lord, is it you? And Jesus said, no, it's Jesus of Nazareth. All the time he thought he was serving the right God. And then he realized he calls him Lord, the the one that has all power over my life. And he says, no, it is not the Lord you think, but it's the Lord Jesus Christ. All this time, Saul was doing all that he knew to do in the pride of who he was. He had an encounter with God and found out he was wrong. He had built his life on the wrong Lord, on the wrong power. On the wrong prestige. I come to remind you today. That God wants to transform us. Through a vision. A vision that's so clear. That it causes you to see him so clearly. That nothing else really matters. My second point. Vision requires change. Everybody say change. Oh y'all ain't with me. Come on say say change. I'm only going to be here about 15 or 20 more minutes. And y'all can say he, he had us echo. And everybody say change. change. Okay, Paul will be back soon. <laughs> He'll be like, Paul, I don't know. <laughs> change. It seems that the only person that wants change is a baby. Everybody talks change. Nobody wants change. Change, change. And, and, and what, we, what we recognize, vision requires change. Where we're standing today is because men and women got together and saw something and began to make the sacrifices that they could change renting somebody else's facility and have your own. But it required you all to begin to purpose and plan and seek the Lord and change. But you had a vision that God was with you. It requires change. You need to know that The Lord says to Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But Saul, I could imagine, said to himself, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting them. And the Lord reminds me of a scripture. He says, when you've done it to the least of them, you've done it unto me. 
And I need you to know that when people stand against you and you're trying to change things for the glory of God, that the people are not simply standing against you. They're standing against the God in you. Amen. Now, why do I say that? Why do I say that? I, I, I say it because it's in my notes, but I also said I say it because you need to know that when you get a vision from God. And people oppose you and God has called you to change something. Everybody won't see what you see. Everybody don't want to do what you do. And when they stand against you, they're not just standing against you. They're standing against the purpose of God in you. Somebody say amen. That gets me excited. You know why? Because that says that if God be for me. He's more than the whole world against me. That means that if God gave me something to do, like he gave you all to build this church and to extend it that way in its season. You know what I did? God gave me a vision of what we're doing. And my people sometimes are are constantly in transition because by the time we build this church, I'm thinking of the life center because I got a vision from God. And it was so clear that I won't allow anything or anybody to get in the way of what God said. So when they press against me, they're not pressing simply against me, but it's the God in me to change. I think I'm yelling now. (laughs) What stopped me from being saved for a long time is I didn't want religion. I didn't want just to come in on a Sunday morning and punch my Holy Ghost ticket and go home and and do what I was going to do. And it have no lasting impact on my life. Anybody feel like me? You want a God that's real. You want you want him to be real in the church and real in your home and real on your job and real in your business. And know that you are not alone, that as you start to build your business and build your family and build this church, that there will be opposition. But if God is for you. He's more than the whole world against you. Somebody say amen. He wants us to know that the vision requires change. It requires change. He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The vision of God takes precedence over the vision I have for my own life. The vision of God takes precedence over my my plan. It becomes my purpose and my purpose is greater than my plan. I had my plan. I had networked to get out of the military and and all of my peers were making six figures. And I thought it's time to get paid. God, I will serve you. But after I get off work. But vision requires change. And notice this. The Bible says. Here's Saul. He's knocked to his knees. There's a bright light. All of those that are with him are knocked to their knees as well. But watch this. The scripture says that they saw the light, but they did not hear the voice. This great light. They saw the light, but they didn't hear the voice. Saul heard the voice. That that lets me know that God is calling us and each of us has to have our own specific encounter and be able 
to hear the voice of the Lord. Seeing God at work and knowing God is at work and the God of the work is two different things. Here he is. He's he's bent down. Everybody can't really uh, uh, determine what it is. It's such a bright light. But everybody is hearing, but not the same thing. Just as I'm speaking now, some of you all are not hearing and some of you are. This word is like an arrow and I'm sending out one word and God is taking it through his spirit and dividing it and trying to speak to you about your specific situation. And the question is, will you hear God get a vision of what he wants you to do and cause you to change? All of these men that were with him, they didn't hear him. They didn't hear. Faith cometh by hearing and then hearing by the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing. They did not hear him and therefore they did not change. What caused you to give your life to the Lord was that one day you heard. You've been to churches, you've seen wonderful works, but until you hear for yourself, there will be no change. There will be no change because, listen, I was in the church about 20 years before I said yes to the Lord. And while God was changing me in small ways, when he wanted to change me in a big way, when he wanted to reshuffle my priorities, when he wanted to give me a new direction, he had to speak to me and I had to hear and heed his word. What is God saying to you that you refuse to hear? He says, I want to transform you through this vision and you hearing. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, If this gospel be hid, it is hidden to those who are lost. Here's the thing about the devil. The devil cannot move God. He cannot take God as this plant and put the plant behind this podium. No, he cannot do that. But the devil can blind your eyes so you don't see God. And what I've come to say that God wants to transform each and every one of us for a specific purpose and a plan that he has designed for our life. But you've got to be able to see him. You must be able to hear him. Vision requires us to change. It is God that has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. It's interesting. My last point. Vision not only causes us to see God, which humbles us. It not only requires us to change, but vision, true vision from God. It redefines what success is in our lives. Now, why would you say that? Well, I need you to know the reason it defines or redefines what success is in our lives. Look at verse number 16. It says, after the Lord has an encounter with Saul, he says, rise, stand upon your feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both. He says, I want you to be a witness and a minister, both of these things, which thou hast seen, and of those things which I will appear unto thee. And he says, I'm going to deliver you from the hands of the Gentiles. 
Now, that's interesting to me. It's interesting because we know that Paul was born of the Jewish culture, but he had a Roman citizenship. But the Lord is not sending him to the Jews, nor to the Romans, but to the Gentiles. You would think that, God, wait a minute, you're redefining what success is for me. You're telling me to go to people that I have no relationship with. Watch this, watch this. See, many of us um, in my hometown, we would say, listen, you want to go where you can get a habu. Y'all don't know what a habu is, do you? A, a habu is what we would say if you got good friends and you wanted a favor, you would say, hook a brother up. Can I get a habu? <laughs> See, you would think that God would send you somewhere, David, that you could go to some places and say, David, I need a favor. But God doesn't do that. He redefines what success is. He doesn't send him to the Jews or he doesn't send him to the Roman citizens where he could get a habu. He sends him to the Gentiles. See, sometimes we... We want God to think the way we think. But he says, my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are different, higher than your ways. And when we have a vision or an encounter with God, he redefines what success is. These young, these young high school kids decided to go to, to a, a church retreat. Do you know how many young high school students think that that is dull and boring? But when they have a relationship with God, they could, others could have said, why don't you go to Magic Mountain this weekend with us and hang out with us and let's party? But they said, no, no, no. I, my success has been redefined because of my vision and my relationship with God. So what would have been success before isn't success to me now. I'm going to where I can give away what God has given me, which is my life, my talents, my treasures, my testimony. When we have that encounter with God, it redefines what success is. I, I, I submit to you that God is trying to redefine what success is. When I drove here today and I drove through this neighborhood, I saw a multitude of people out running, walking, their dogs. I mean, they don't run like that in my neighborhood. That maybe. But I saw them and I thought, it is 9.30 on a Sunday morning. There's a church within 50 feet of them, but they're not walking to the church. They're walking away from the church. But when they have an encounter with God, just like you and I have, they will redefine what success is. And what God is trying to do is redefine what success is for us. But you can't have that redefined until we have an encounter, a vision. To, to where you know that you know that you know. I want to I want to encourage each and every one of us. Our God is real. Our God, is, he's not some God that's sitting on the throne, uh, sitting on the cross. He's not even on the cross anymore. He's real. He's not a God that you, you can just meet at Christ's community. He's in the community. He's in your home. He's in the, your life. And he wants to be a major part of the issues and the priorities that concern you and I. He says, but I need you to have this encounter. Now, what happens 
is sometimes we have the encounter, but we forget. We forget about, you know, you've been saved a while and you forgot how he called you. And we become comfortable. And when you become comfortable, you become complacent. And when you become complacent, the last thing you do before you die is fall asleep. Somebody's practicing it right here in church right now. That's okay. I used to point people out, but not anymore. God has, God has changed me. I'm a new man. You know, I, I would say, shh, and walk right up to the person and say, wake up in the name of Jesus. But I'm kinder and gentler now. See, what happens, real change, real change. And what happens is this. God tells us to not to be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. But what happens a lot of times in churches, not in your church, but in mine and the other churches, people who don't have a relationship, they don't have transformation. They have imitation. See, they come and they see people who know how to do church. And they emulate or imitate what they see people doing. See, I didn't grow up in church, but I recall going to some churches and looking through the window and I saw people shouting and running around and falling out and scared me half to death. And I still remember when I got saved, I didn't want to move because I'd seen stuff. And what messed me up about the people running and shouting, they were running and shouting in church and cussing in the street. Somebody say amen. It messed me up. I thought everybody in church that had a charismatic experience was really just faking. But while that is not true, people do have charismatic experience and the Holy Spirit does heal miraculously. And people uh, uh, do uh, sometimes uh, act in ways that I don't always understand. But here's the thing. Many people are imitating but not being transformed. Why? Because transformation requires a vision or an encounter with God. But some people are in church, not here, but they're in church and they're imitating, but they have no transformation because they haven't had an encounter. In the black church, whenever the Spirit of God moves, I don't know how he does it, but he moves in the small of the back. Mm. It, it, and somewhere along the line, they, we have been taught that it, it ain't God until you get the, the ugly face. Mm. It's almost like, it's almost like, 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 like God moves and, and somebody smells their, mmm, eh, And everybody is imitating. Everybody knows how to look spiritual. Mmm. In, in the white church, this is the spiritual move. And if they, if y'all shake it a little bit, you're really feeling it. And if you get, give it up and go for the ghost, you put both hands up. But many times people are people are imitating and this is what stops you from stops us from really experiencing God. See, if I have had an encounter 
and you have not had an encounter and you try to do what I do, then you're going to find out at some point you can't keep it up. You know why? Because I'm not doing it in and of my own strength. It's the joy of the Lord that is my strength. So you try to keep up serving with me, but at some point when the rubber meets the road, you stop serving because you were only imitating what somebody else had an encounter with. This encounter is so real, so important, and I'm so out of time. God wants us to understand. Vision will redefine your success. It will. It'll cause you to be willing to to stand against everything that's pushing against you. See, it doesn't matter whether the community knows that Christ's community is on a mission from God as long as Christ's community knows. The Bible says in this life you shall have tribulations. It doesn't matter that when it's time that the city and the county may stand against what God is doing. But they're not just standing against you. They're standing against what God is doing in your life. You cannot be transformed until his, until his image, until he is revealed unto you. He tells Paul in advance in verse 17. He says, I'm sending you. I'm sending you to the Gentiles. And they're going to try to kill you. But don't worry. I'll deliver you from them. See, in the natural It would be hard for you to tell me you want me to go and help people that are going to try to kill me. You want me to go give life to them while they will try to take my life. But when you have a vision, it causes you to lay down your purpose and your plan and walk in his purpose and his plan. It redefines when God called me to pastor and I had to say goodbye to all of that I had worked so hard for. I was depressed. My kids knew it. My wife knew it. I didn't want God to. I didn't want him to lead me where he has led me. I wanted to do my thing. But I knew that I knew that I knew I heard God. It'll make you stand against people who are standing against you. It'll make you understand that I don't know when it's going to happen, but I know his promises are yes and amen. And if God said it, I believe it. That settles it. And I'm waiting to see the manifestation of what he said to me. My church is saying, Pastor, how is it that we're going to build a 1,500 seat place and, and, and with all the things and you want to build houses? I know what God said. What has he said to you? You're transformed by that vision. If he has not spoken to you or you feel that he has not spoken, I would submit to you that he is speaking, that he's always at work, always around us. Always trying to speak to us. Maybe it's not God that's not speaking. Maybe it's us that we're not listening. This iPad is a very interesting tool. I'm so amazed that if I have it, I have the instrument to connect with all kinds of signals in this room right now that I cannot hear with my natural ear. But I can hear it if I have the right tools, if I'm in sync with the right thing. God is speaking. He wants to transform us. He wants to transform your business. He wants to transform your life. 
He wants to transform this church. God sent Jesus so we could understand who Jesus is. He puts a face on God. We put a face on Jesus so the world can see. We must be transformed by the vision that we can give them a vision of what transformation looks like. And they will see our good works and glorify our God in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I thank you for this family of believers. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to teach your word. Lord, I ask today for that man, that woman, that is here assembled with the believers, that they would make an earnest plea, an earnest attempt to get into your presence, to hear your voice, and to heed your word. God, all we have, the only thing that will last is what we do for you. All we have is your promises and your presence and your power. Help us to tap into it. Help us to get a vision of who you are in our life, that we might release you and see the manifestation of your power in our lives. I pray over each and every person that's here. I ask that this word would penetrate the heart and cause change in our lives. Watch over us, Lord. Keep us. Let this word not depart from us, but let us hide it in our hearts that we would not sin against you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.